Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Hello, Matt Carvel here. Once upon a time, my wife and I took our two-year-old son to Ikea. It did not go well. Now, Ikea is a wonderful place that can bring out the absolute worst in anyone. I don't think there's another shop that has been cited in as many divorce papers as this Scandinavian time vortex of a retailer. It's kind of the huge expanse of it and the sort of fake rooms that you go into and emerge from. I'm in a kitchen now. Why is there a sofa over there? Now I'm in a kid's bedroom. Am I outside now? There's lots of plants everywhere. Why am I surrounded by rugs? And add to that the sense that you know that you're going to spend way more than you intend to spend. No one gets to the checkout at Ikea and is pleasantly surprised. It's always like, how is this trolley full of items that are all less than a pound? How does that come to more than our mortgage? Now, add to this combination a very stubborn two-year-old who doesn't want to stay in the trolley. And also the fact that we, we actually had to buy things at Ikea for our, our home. We weren't just going to browse. We were trying to make decisions. So we're standing there, my wife and I, trying to make decisions of whether the beige or the grey sofa will look best in our lounge. And I'm thinking... How big is our lounge? What color is our lounge? Do we even have a lounge? And then suddenly you look around and Ruben's not there anymore. For the umpteenth time, he's disappeared. And we think, we've just, we've got to, we've got to get out of here. So it's like, you know, here's another child. They're about the same size as Ruben is. Should we just, should we just take them, get to the car? Well, we did manage to get through it, get into the car, found Ruben. He's in the back seat now, covered in ice cream. We've got flat back furniture coming out of every window. And as I turn the ignition, I say, never again. When have you said never again? Maybe it's something that you've done, something somewhere that you've gone. Maybe it's something that you've eaten. In this passage that we've got to in the story of Noah, God actually says these words, never again. Now, when we say it, it's always uh, something that we regret Something that seemed like a good at the time, but with hindsight, we know it was not a good thing to do. Is that what's happening here with God? I mean, God has wiped out almost the entire world with a flood. And now he's saying, never again will that happen. Is God expressing regret? Has God made a mistake here? Well, what we're going to see today is that's that's not the case. When God actually says never again, it's expression of his sovereignty. The fact that he is in control of all things. He's in control of history. And he's also a God who's in control of our lives as well. And this is something that Noah experiences and is blessed by in his life. And what happens is that Noah responds to this God, a God who is in control. He responds with with worship. 
And Noah's example is going to help us to connect with God. How do we engage with God in worship? How do we even have a heart connection with God? Well, Noah's going to help us with that topic today as well. That's where we're headed. I think this coronavirus situation that we're in has served to remind us all just how fragile, how vulnerable uh, the world is in which we live. You know, maybe we thought back in ancient times, you know, the world was a very dangerous place. But nowadays in the modern world, we have lots of things that give us a sense of uh, stability and structure and and security. We have have bank balances. There is an economy. We have a good health and a healthcare system. We can travel around the world wherever we want. We have friends and family around us. And then supposedly one bat in one market on the other side of the world causes all those things, every single one of those things to be undermined and challenged. And suddenly we realized actually our lives are not as stable as we thought they, they were. Suddenly everything has been shaken. Maybe our lives looked impressive, but we start to wonder, have actually we just been building a house of cards that can be easily toppled by something like this? And that, understandably, in a way, is causing people lots of anxiety, lots of worry. I mean, maybe you spent last night up all night worried. Things going through your mind of the present circumstance, what's going to happen and what might happen in the future. And the, the, the vulnerability of your life has, has come into view in a way it's never done so before. Well, the story of Noah is a great antidote to worry because it presents to us a God who is in control, in control of the huge global things and also in control of the small personal things as well. We're shaken because we're, well, maybe I'm not as in control of my life as I thought, but well, God is in control of all things. And that can be a great sense of comfort to us. Let's think about this story of Noah. Maybe you've been with us for the last few weeks and we've seen lots of different things that have happened. But have you noticed that Noah hasn't said a word? He doesn't say anything so far. And actually what is being presented to us in reality is not the story of Noah as I've been describing it. It's actually the story of God. God is the one who does things. God is the one who speaks. And Noah is a a bit part player. He responds to what God does. And what we're seeing is that when God says something, that's what happened. When God says never again, he's not expressing regret of a mistake that he's made. What he's saying is, this is what's happened in the past. This is what's happening now. I'm stabilizing the world. And this is what's going to happen in the future as well. We see that all in this passage. When God says something, that is what happens. That's what the Bible says right the way through. When God said, let there be light, there was light. In the New Testament, with Jesus Christ, he's on the cross. He says, it is finished and the work of salvation is done. Jesus said, I'll I'll lay my life down and take it back up again. And he does. When God says something, that is what happens. You know, we live in a world where the most powerful people in the world, we've had world leaders over the last few weeks just saying different things, including our own prime minister, saying things about numbers of tests and, and on this date, this is going to happen. And with all the best intentions, but they may, might or might not come to pass. We'll see. 
But when God says something, that is what happens. And so what God is saying here is that in the past, in Noah's generation, everyone was wiped out because evil just took a hold of the whole society and it went down and down and down. And God said, actually, I'm in control of evil and sin in the world and that's not going to happen again. Never again am I going to wipe out people with a flood because things got so bad. God is keeping in check sin and evil in the world because he is in control of it. He's more powerful than it. He's not at the mercy of it. He's not tussling with, with evil. He is in authority over it and he is limiting it and checking it and keeping it in check in the world even though he says as the human heart is sinful and evil and desires come from there that's true but God is sovereign over that and the world won't get as bad as it did in Noah's day because God says so God's also bringing about a stabilizing of the natural world as well He's saying, well, yes, there will be natural disasters, but they won't flood the entire world again. He's saying there will be seasons, spring, summer, autumn, winter. We think of those things as just sort of natural processes. They just happen. No, they actually don't just happen. They happen because God is actively involved. God every day causes the sun to come up. God is involved in those things. He is the God of all the natural world. We see that in Jesus very vividly. The famous story with Jesus, he's with his disciples in a boat and he's asleep and a huge storm comes up. Jesus only has to say, be still and the storm is calmed. God is in control of every natural event in the world. He's in control of that. And also that phrase that it says, as long as the earth remains, is God reminding us that actually the natural world is on a time scale that he's in charge of as well. It will come to an end, the world as we know it, at some stage. People are saying, is coronavirus, is this, is this the beginning of the end? Maybe, well, it has been the case. Many people over, over years have suggested or even confidently asserted when the end of the world is going to come. I know when the world is going to come to an end. Do you want to know when the world is going to come to an end? It's going to come to an end when God says so. Because God is in control of even that. God doesn't regret. God dictates what happens. And the Bible says God is working through any and every circumstance to bring about his purposes in the world and this is a great comfort to us actually because it brings a sense of stability to our lives and we need that right now more than ever this crisis has underlined to us as I've said the just how unpredictable the world is and chaotic it feels like And maybe for you, you're someone who likes order. You like things to be predictable. You like your routines. And this situation is just, you know, disastrous for you. You you like those articles that say, you know, five steps to take control of your world. They don't really apply in times like this. We're reminded how unpredictable life is and how little actually we're in control. But maybe you're someone who's, well, I'm just a sort of go with the flow person. I like when things are new. I like things are different. I just go with what's happening and I'm adaptable in that way. 
okay, you might be in one of those two camps, but I think all of us want a sense of we're in charge of our own destiny. We have a sense of contentment when I can do the things that I want to do. You know, we, we, we love that famous poem where it says, I want to be, I'm the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. Oh, that's something we like. We're in charge of our own destiny. But then something like coronavirus hits us and blows us entirely off course. And maybe we end up sinking as well. And it leaves us in a place of instability and worry and anxiety. You see, we'll never find a sense of true stability, true Uh, true peace and contentment if we're basing that on ourselves because we can't control all things even when things are going well in our lives this circumstance has reminded us well how long will it be before something else hits us we don't know even the wealthiest even the most secure in in the material aren't truly secure the pursuit of that peace is never going to be achieved in of our own efforts we need to recognize no God is in control Actually, the Christian is one who can sleep well at night. Not because they've got everything sorted in their life. Not because uh, they're immune from challenges and pain and difficulty. But because they have the promise of God. Promises like Romans 8 verse 28. And we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We face difficulty in life. I face difficulty in life. There's disappointments, there's grief, there's challenges. Maybe you're facing unemployment. Maybe you're facing poverty, debt. But you see, with God... Those things don't have to be the end of the story. You see, I can feel disappointment in life. I can feel the acute pain of those challenging circumstances. But as hard as that is, I know God is the author of the story of my life. That this might be a dark chapter, but where he's bringing me to is somewhere good. It says that right there. He's working things for his purposes and for the blessing of those who know him and who love him through Jesus Christ. All these promises of God are true for us in Jesus Christ, given to us as a gift. And that way we can be comforted. We can know peace and security. Even when in the darkest times, you know, no, God is at work. He has his pen over the story of my life. He is writing things in my life for my good and for my blessing. Weeping may last through the night, the Bible says, but joy comes in the morning. Why? Because God says so. What security do you have in life that your life will be a triumph and not a tragedy? Jesus Christ. Nothing less than him. Otherwise, we'll be blown from one way to another with all the circumstances of life and all the unpredictable, chaotic things that happen. No, no, nothing less than Jesus is enough to calm our worried minds. Well, how do we respond to this? Well, let's look at Noah. How does he respond? Because Noah, he knows this. He has experienced God's control over his life and, his, and, and, and blessing on his life by God. God has brought him through the flood. God has saved him. And Noah's first response is to, is, to, is to worship God. I think that's a 
provocation to us in the circumstances we find ourselves in, to give thanks to God in all circumstances. Noah does that. What's your response to this crisis been? I know for a lot of us, it's caused our heads to go down. Maybe you've, your head's gone down because you have felt discouraged. Maybe you, you were okay at first and now week after week has rolled by and your head starts to drop. For others, maybe your head's down because you're, you're powering through. You're just gritting your teeth. You're making the best of it. You're going to smash this challenge that we're all in. Well, Noah's response is not a head down. His response to crisis is not to get his head down, but to get his head up. To respond to God with thanksgiving and praise for who God is. You see, in the midst of any dark chapter of our lives or any crisis, God has not changed. And Noah recognizes the reasons he has to give thanks to God. God has saved him. God has blessed him. God is a God who is in control and is worthy of praise and thanksgiving from him. You see, when we focus on the crisis, if our, if our focus is there on the crisis, we're only going to worry. But when we focus on God, we worship Now let's think for a moment about Noah's worship and what he does. Because yes, admittedly, it does look very strange, especially if you're not very familiar uh, with the Bible. You think the way that Noah wants to express his thanks to God for saving him through this flood is he takes loads of the animals that he's had in the ark with him and puts them on the altar and burns them before God. That's a very odd thing to do. That is right. And I will go on to explain that, but it's worth pausing on that for a moment and just saying, actually, when you look into all religions, and Christianity is just not immune to this either, when you look at the practicalities of what people do, it will, at first at least, look very odd. Christianity, Christian worship does look odd if you're just looking at the practicalities. Maybe you've, you've seen, you've been to a church service and you see people. Why do they sing all these old songs? Why do they take communion? Why do they baptize one another in water? Why are these people giving thousands of pounds away to the church? And Christian convictions are very odd and at odds with the rest of the world as well. Why do these Christians, why do they believe this Bible, this ancient book? Why do they believe that God created the world and that sex is for marriage and that Jesus is more important than even friends and family? Why do they act in this way? Well, think about it in this way. Imagine if you were, uh, had been in your house for the last two months and for somehow you've managed to avoid all the news and you didn't know anything about coronavirus, you didn't know anything about the NHS or what's happening in the country. Now imagine you're in your house and at about 8 o'clock on a Thursday evening, you go out into the street to take your bins out. And then suddenly everyone in your street stands on the doorsteps and starts clapping. You would think that would be very, very strange. You see, when we don't understand the reason, of course the practical things that they do is going to look strange. But for Christians, the reason is Jesus Christ. And when you meet God through Jesus Christ, if you really encounter him, The way you live can't stay the same. It's going to change. There's going to be all sorts of different things that you're going to do in response to who God is, what he has done, to to give thanks to him, to be obedient to him, to follow him. That's going to change all sorts of things in your life. But the important thing is to come to Jesus. Understanding him means 
puts everything, it makes everything else make a bit more sense. So don't worry about the practicalities looking weird. Yeah, they do. But when you meet Jesus, everything looks clearer. You need to come to him first. It's actually, it's interesting to me that this response to be thankful that Noah is demonstrating to us isn't actually just something that uh, religious people do or Christians do. I, I've, I've heard people talking in a certain way that expresses this all the time, even though they're not Christian or they don't have any faith at all. Have you heard people use this kind of language? They might be talking about their life and say, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for the career that I've had, the opportunities that I've had. I'm really, I'm really thankful for uh, my family. I've, I've lived a very blessed life. Okay, that's great. But grateful to whom? Thankful to whom? Blessed by whom? It's interesting that there's something in us that wants to be grateful and thankful. We, we somehow know that what we have in our lives is, is a, a gift. Life is a gift. We have been, we've received it. Not everything that we have in life is something that we've earned. No, we have been the recipients of a gift. And sometimes we go through life, especially if we're not a Christian, and we don't recognize this and don't even think about this because we're so th- just focused on our lives. Maybe you're not in the camp that I was describing before. Uh, you're not you know, lying awake at, at night worrying about the situation because your life is good. You, you have some sense of contentment. Things have gone well for you in your life. Well, perhaps it's like a child who receives an amazing toy for their birthday and they're so enraptured with their toy that oh, I, don't, I don't need my parents anymore. I've got this toy. It's brilliant. But they've forgotten who gave them that toy. They've forgotten to acknowledge that. Those people. And maybe for you, your life is, is great. Well, that's great. But it's great because God has been kind to you. He has given you every good thing in your life as a gift. And he's wanting you to respond to him on that basis. You know, all of us at the end of our lives will give an account to God for the way that we've lived. And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I've, I've tried really hard with my life. You know, I've had certain gifts and abilities and I've, I've worked hard and I've, I've tried to be good and, and, and done well by others and, and earned well and, and been a success in some ways. And, and God will be impressed with that. God will see what I've had and what I've done with it and he'll be impressed with that. Well, what if it was the case that what's more important to God than what you've done and how impressive you are? What if... The thing that's most important to God is that actually you said thank you to him. That you were grateful to him. That you lived a life of worship to him and honoring him for what he has given you. Actually, the Bible says that that is the main thing. That's the key problem of all humanity. The first problem from which all other problems stemmed that people didn't say thank you to God. It says that, Romans 1 verse 21. It's like God's diagnosis of the problems of humanity. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And Noah's generation got this wrong. 
Yes, they were a horrible society, but that began by not acknowledging God as God, refusing to worship him. Instead of being focused on him, focused on themselves. And when they focused on themselves, when you have a heart that is prone to evil, things are going to only get worse and worse and worse. And that's how God and the Bible describes it. You see, worship is not, it's not just a good idea. It's not something just that we ought to do. It's not just something that's, that's helpful to us, although it is helpful to us. We are blessed by doing it. Actually, worship of God is essential. It's the only right response to God who is holy and who is sovereign and who is also loving and kind. And also, it's what God made us to do. He's made us to worship him, to thank him, to praise him for who he is and what he's done. So as I bring this message to a close, how do we apply this? How do we live this out? How do we respond? Maybe we think, all right, I better say thank you to God. I better worship God. I better start trying to obey God a little better uh, because then he'll be happy with that. Is, is that the route that we should go down? Try really hard now to worship God. Well, you could try and do that. But if you're anything like me, at some point you'll sing off key. You'll stumble through prayer. You'll make decisions in your life, like I do, that, that don't honor God all the time. Is God going to be pleased with that? Is God going to accept those offerings of praise and thanksgiving, as broken as they are? Is that good enough for God? Perhaps we're going to try really hard and we're always worried. Is this enough for God? Is God impressed with this? Is God impressed with my life? Is, am I, have I worshipped him hard enough to keep him happy? Here's, here's the best bit. Here's the best bit. That's good news for us. Actually, in this passage, the weirdest bit is actually the most, the most important and is the key to the whole thing. I wonder if you, you noticed that phrase in it. It said, when Noah's offering these sacrifices, and it says, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. And you think, why? He's like, slaughtered these animals and is burning them. Why is God pleased with that? Well, in the Bible, when we have an altar and when we have sacrifice, and when that's mixed with faith that Noah brings about, he's expressing to God, it reminds God of his son, Jesus Christ, in whom God is well pleased. He's not pleased with the sacrifice in and of itself. It, what it represents, what it points to, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that is what is pleasing and acceptable to God the Father. The sacrifice of his own son. And that's Noah's, actually Noah's way into God. And it's also our way into God as well. That's what it says. Listen to this. Ephesians 5 verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What that means is when we come to God through Jesus, our worship is pleasing to God, not because of exactly what we do or what we say or whether we got it right. It 
comes to God through Jesus and it brings the fragrance of Jesus. When we worship God, it's like we've been, um, a, a, a whole bottle of perfume has just been tipped all over us. We're absolutely drenched in this smell. And when we approach God, when we come close to God, all that God can smell is this fragrance, and it's the fragrance of Christ. That is what has happened through faith in Christ. We have this fragrant offering that we bring to God. And so it doesn't actually matter that much about exactly what we do. We can sing off key. It doesn't matter if our prayers are not exactly right. We can still bring our brokenness to God and our honesty to God and and stumble through in our worship to God and and live lives that are not always going to reflect honoring him well. But we, when we approach God, we come with a fragrance of Christ. All that God can smell is a please, the pleasing aroma of Jesus Christ who lived the perfect life that we couldn't live and dies in our place for our sin. And he, that sacrifice towards God is pleasing to, 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 to God the Father. He is the Lamb of God who has died in our place. And that means we can come close to God. Do you see that, that Noah's sacrifice, it, it, he brings his heart to God and it touches God's heart. Did you read that? God speaks from the heart in response. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, however good your worship has been in the past, if you come to God through Jesus Christ, through faith in him, You are covered with the fragrance of Christ and your worship is pleasing to God. And you too, just like Noah, can have a heart connection with God today.